prayer service. Our series, we're in week three, um, talking about the names of Jesus. The title of our series has been, His Name Shall Be Called. And uh, we've been in Isaiah 9, uh, and so uh, we're going to put that up on the screen. This is going to be our text for the series is Isaiah 9, 6. A lot of us have known this and heard this uh, throughout the Christmas season, and this is what it says. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Let's let's pray. Father, we love you and Father, we need you to help us this morning. I I need your help to communicate the things that you would want us to to understand and know and Father, we also need your help to open our hearts to what you want to share with us, Father. There's there's so much here as we look at the names of Jesus. And, and God, I pray that, that, that the Spirit would just open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to what you desire to share with us today. And that, Father, you would help me to share that in a way that, that is clear and that is as usable by you. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we've kind of gone through this the last couple of weeks, we've kind of put this up on the screen every, every morning just so we could have a reminder about kind of what Isaiah is trying to do here. And really what he's trying to do is the idea isn't that these will be the literal names of the Messiah. We don't don't use these as literal names, but instead these are aspects of his character. These are aspects of who he is and what he's come to do, okay? And so this morning we're going to be looking at this name shall be called Everlasting Father. The first week, obviously, we talked about Wonderful Counselor, and that's who Jesus is, and that's what he does, and that's his character. And last week, we talked about Mighty God, and so this morning, we're going to talk about Everlasting Father. Now, there's been a little confusion about this, because it seems to be something is happening here that may cause a little bit of problems. So, before we really get into this and what Isaiah is doing, I put this in your notes, and so, because I want to make sure that we hit this, and so, right Right here, it's, it's something important that we talk about. Isaiah isn't teaching us that God uh, the Son, meaning Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the same person as God the Father. Okay, he's not teaching us that. We've had a little bit throughout church history. We've had some problems there and they have called that a certain thing. And we're not going to get into it this morning. But basically they've had that kind of an issue. It's not the Messiah's role within the Godhead. But the Messiah's character towards us that Isaiah has in mind. Okay? So once again, we're kind of talking about the character of Jesus. We're not saying, and Isaiah was never saying that Jesus is the Father. He was basically using this Father understanding so we could understand in a lot of ways the character of Jesus, the things that Jesus has come to do in us and through us. Okay? And so because of that, we need to understand that. We need to start there that this is not Isaiah saying, God. God the Father and Jesus is the Father. They're separate in the Trinity, okay? So we want to start there to make sure we understand that. But let's look at kind of exactly a little bit more here about this idea that that Jesus is that everlasting Father in character and in in action towards us. Let's look at Psalms 90 verse 2. In Psalms 90 verse 2 it says this, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world... From everlasting to everlasting, you 
our God. In John 1, 1, and it's not up there, and that's okay, but in John 1, 1, we see, or John chapter 1, we see this idea of John helping us to understand that in, from the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus, God, the Spirit, all three of these people, they have been, they will always be there from everlasting to everlasting, which is a wonderful comfort to us, because we know that there will always be God. God has always been and he always will be. From the very beginning, there has always been God. And that is an everlasting understanding of our Father. Look at Isaiah 64, 8. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Now, now you have to understand something that God has tended to do. Jesus obviously continued this when he was on earth and his, his teaching. Is God has always used things that we can understand in our small little, little minds to help us understand a bigger understanding of who God is. God is great and strong and mighty. And one way that we've always seen throughout all of scripture, God being understood to us... Is is the idea of God as our Father. Even back in the Old Testament, we start to see this. We start to see that concept that the Father is a special part of who we are as his kids, and we see that being even more so as we'll get into the message this morning. But let's also look at John 14. Because I want us to kind of understand this and kind of wrap this section up with a little bit of a bow when it comes to this understanding that Jesus is the Son, but he also has some of the characteristics of the Father. And this is what it says in John 14. This is Jesus speaking. Obviously, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's continue on. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't believe, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. So so here what we need to understand is as we look at these these, these characteristics, these, these ideas that Isaiah is trying to get us to understand, that we can look at both God and we can look at Jesus because both of them mirror each other. Jesus says here that basically, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen the things I do, those are the things that the Father wants to do and is doing in you. And so we have to understand that here as we look at these things, we need to understand that we're seeing both Jesus and the Father one to do things in our lives. So let's look at this. Let's look at this more deeply. What are the fatherly characteristics of our Messiah? Okay? What, what, what does the fatherly characteristics of the Father look like? Okay? Because here's the thing. What, I've, what I think is very clear, and, and I think all of us kind of know this, is we don't always have the perfect... In fact, probably... No, let me phrase that. None of us have the perfect dad. 
None of us have that dad. Now, now maybe, maybe our dad was, was really great, or maybe he wasn't, or whatever, but, but none of us have had a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect dad. You're not a perfect dad. There's, there's no such thing except our Father in heaven. And one of the things that we have to guard against, and we have to realize, is, is God is using this concept of the perfect heavenly Father. Okay, a lot of times, unfortunately, what we can get hung up on is this idea, well, because my dad, my earthly dad, didn't do these things, then that means that God won't do them either. Okay, your dad's not God, your dad's not perfect, your heavenly father is, and these are the things that he wants to do in your life to show that he is that perfect dad. So let's look at these characteristics together. The first one is he, as our father, is a provider. Look at Matthew 7, 1. In Matthew 7, 1, it says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, obviously, here we are in Christmas season. Um, it's, it's, it's that toast that time of year again where, you know, we'll give gifts to our friends and our kids and our family. And I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about that. I, I like the giving much more than I like the getting. And so I'm very excited. And so I can relate to this, you know, because I know I'm evil. I know that I don't do things perfectly, but I'm excited about the gifts I'm going to give my wife and my kid this, this, this Christmas. But, but how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Man, listen, I, listen, I, I know this, is, this may be foreign to some of us, but I think we need to understand this because God is a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Why would we think that God isn't the same way? I, I have this picture of God being up in heaven and, and when we are asking for those things that, that are good, that, that, that we need, that he is excited about, I can just see God just so excited about this gift. Oh boy, I can't wait to do this in Josh's life. Oh boy, Wendy, you're going to love this. It's like, it's like God sitting up there like I am on Christmas Eve trying to fall asleep, not because of the gifts that are under the tree, quote unquote, for me, but because of the gifts I'm going to give. He loves to provide for you. He loves to meet those needs for you. Listen, one of the things that I've dealt with in my life and the life of others that I've talked to is this concept that like, well, God doesn't have time for me or God doesn't want to do those things. Or have you ever said this? My need isn't as important as the kids that are starving. You know what I mean? And listen, here's what we need to understand. God loves Everyone wants to meet everybody's needs, and everybody includes you. Don't fall into this trap of saying, I don't want to ask God to be that provider for me because you think that basically there are others that need it more. God is strong enough, big enough, awesome enough to handle it all. And he loves it when we come and ask him. He loves to be that provider for us as that father. Next, he loves to be the protector. The protector. Look at John 10. In John 10, it says this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Let's continue. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father 
are one. Also, let's look at Romans 8. In Romans 8, 31, it says this. What shall we say about these wonderful things of these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Listen, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week. This idea of mighty God. Of strong warrior God that comes and he's our protector. Listen, God has got you. And he's strong enough to handle whatever you need to face or whatever you're going to face. Now listen, that doesn't mean that God at times won't allow situations that are uncomfortable to come into our lives. Okay? But it's kind of interesting and, and it's kind of funny that, that this happened this morning and, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but, but it just happened and it's whatever. It, sometimes this happens. But Wendy, we were in my office, Wendy and the, the worship team, and we were getting ready to pray. And she, she told me, she said, did you hear about what happened uh, last yesterday? And I said, well, no. I said, well, it was close to my house and, and there was a carjacking. It was a carjacking. And I said, oh, my goodness. Well, what, what happened? You know, like, what, what, what do you mean? What? And she said, oh, the, this, this family, they, they got home and they went into the house, basically. And so there was a wife and a kid and, and some kids and, and a father. And they went into the house and they were getting something or other. And the, the father came back out side to the car and somebody with gun gunpoint stole his car you know and it was funny because alicia when this happened alicia said you know if that would happen alicia would have been like yep take the car you know and please if it ever happens let them take the car okay you know so that's what she said oh take the car and 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 we kind of all were kind of well thank goodness the kids weren't in the car you know and wendy makes the comment she's like well if my kids had been in the car you know there would have been There'd been a fight, you know. There, yeah, that, that would that no. You're not taking the car then, you know. And it's funny how, as parents, we kind of have that protective thing. It's like you know, it's like you can take the car, but but if you mess with my kids, that's a problem. And God is that way. God loves to be that protector. God loves to stand there and say, you know what? No more. God is there and wants to protect you and protect us. Next, next, the next characteristic I want to talk about is this concept of teacher. This concept of teacher because I feel like, unfortunately, this is one that is very important that sometimes we miss. And then we're going to look at Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, starting with verse 5 through 8, and then we're going to jump into 10 and 11. We see something very interesting here, okay? This is what it says. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Now, let's stop there for just a second and realize what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand. This individual is trying to get us to see here, this is encouraging. This shouldn't be negative. This shouldn't look at it as, oh, man, I can't believe this. And that's typically what we do. These are encouraging words, and these should be encouraging. So we need to stop, and we need to start there. Okay, these are words of encouragement that we're getting. This is what he says. He said, let's continue. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Let's keep going. He says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. 
Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are really not his children at all. Let's keep going. For our earthly fathers discipline us for a few years, doing the best they know how. But God's discipline, check this out, is always good for us. So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Listen. God, as our Father, wants to be our teacher. He wants to discipline us because He loves us. Because He cares for us. Because, listen, what God wants is He wants that harvest of right living to come out in our lives. It's very interesting here that the writer of Hebrews is communicating this. Hey, listen, if God doesn't do this, then you're illegitimate. This is an encouraging word. When, when God allows these things to come and to test us, to help us to grow so that we can live a life that is worthy of him and to live a life that, we, that we're called to live, we need to look at that not as a negative, not as, oh God, why, how could you? But instead look at it as, hey, this shows that my father loves me. This shows that my father is training me and teaching me and disciplining me so that I can be more like him him. I know it's hard. I know the natural response in those hard moments is to go, God, why? Or or, God, why are you doing this to me? Or God, God, why don't you just make it all go away? I know that. We all do that. I do that too. But it's at times we have to go back to Hebrews here and remember, hey, this is proof that my God loves me. This is proof that I'm his child. Okay? That's important that we catch that. God wants to be our teacher. Next, he's ever-present. Look at Psalms 46. In Psalms 46, it says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore, because he's ever-present, because he's always there, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. As I was putting this message together, as I was reading that, you know, it's like I feel sometimes in our world today that it feels like the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. But we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because our God is strong and he's ever-present. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll always be there when we need him. He's always there. And then the last one I want to talk about this morning is compassionate. Our God is compassionate. Look at Psalms 103. 103.13. Excuse me. It says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Now, I want you to stop. Okay, because we've kind of talked about this before, you know, and, and I think it's something that, I, that is important that we understand as a family and as individuals is, is we've, kind of, we've kind of made God, if this makes sense in some ways, we've kind of made God the, 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 the angry old man. 
You know, like, yeah, he's our father, but he's, he's the harsh one. He's, he's the one with the lightning bolt. And it, they're just ready to strike us down if we mess up. And now, now Jesus and the Spirit, now, now they're different. You know, they're like our buddies and, and, and everything. But, but God seems to be something different. And what's interesting here is how we see the psalmist talk about the father. He's tender. Can I ask you a question? Just be honest. When was the last time you thought about God the Father and the word you used to describe him was tender? I know that maybe I would use that for like Jesus or the Spirit, but I'll be honest, not so much with God. But we see this tender, compassionate Father. He's all these things to us. He desires to be all these things to us. And here's the beauty of it. He is all these things. And and listen, we, we could have gone through, I could have gone through a lot more. But this is who our Father is. When we look at this understanding of everlasting Father, these are some of those characteristics that basically Isaiah was talking about when he was talking about the Messiah. These are the characteristics. Now, probably a lot more, but these are the ones that, that, that just jumps out, at least to me. And so we need to understand that. So, so let's kind of close this out. Let's kind of put a bow on it. But let me ask you, let's kind of look at this question together as we kind of put all this, uh, finish all this out. And it's quite simply this. Why does Isaiah refer to the Messiah as an everlasting father? Why does he even do it in the first place? Why does, as he's writing these things, as he's, he's putting these names down with, 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 the, with the, the leading of the Spirit, why does he even use this one? Why not, why not skip this one? Why is it there? And I think there's several reasons, but there's two that I want to talk about this morning. And the first one is this, and this kind of goes around the, the Christmas season and kind of what all this is about if we really stop to understand it. And it's this, we need to be restored to the family of God. We need to be restored. You know, what's interesting is when you look back in Genesis and you look back at the beginning, when you look back when God was saying things like, this is good, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing a beautiful family. You're seeing God the Father. You're seeing God the Son and the Spirit. You're seeing Adam and Eve. You're seeing a family. You're seeing all these things. Sin destroyed that. Sin brought separation and death and problems and curse. It it, it destroyed it all. And one of the reasons why Jesus came, we've talked about this before, he came on a rescue mission because we needed to be restored to the family of God. We were the ones that ran away and Jesus came to restore that. Look at Galatians 4, it says this, but when the right time came, timing's important, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Okay? That's the Christmas story. I mean, in a very simplistic form. God sends Jesus. Jesus comes to do this. Born of a woman. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that that he could adopt us as his very own children. He could adopt us, bring us home, Restore that family. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, 
Father. Now I want to stop there for just a second because a lot of times we read that. Why, why, why do we see that translation as Abba? Why don't we just say, why isn't it just Father? Why isn't it Father, Father or something like that? And really what that, that, that term means, the reason what we see that is that is an intimate connection, a name that is only given by someone that has a close, intimate relationship with somebody. Okay, think about, you know, I, I, I have a son and, and so I have a little bit of a different relationship with him because I'm the dad and, you know, but, 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 